I know it's not necessarily the right time of year to be talking about this, but I was thinking about baseball season this week because I looked up and I saw the foul ball sitting on my bookshelf that I got in 1992 at an Atlanta Braves game. And there are not many famous foul balls. There may be a few that happened in the midst of a bitter rivalry determining the outcome of the game, or more importantly, a World Series, where if that ball just went two feet to the left, your team would have won. But most foul balls are not memorable at all. They never end up as the answer for sports trivia, that we don't remember them unless you are the person who took the foul ball home. The foul ball that sits on my shelf was by Dave Winfield. He played right field for the Blue Jays at the time. And I didn't have his baseball card. He wasn't one of my favorite players. He played on the other team against the Braves. But there is something memorable and thrilling about taking a foul ball home. That you stand there watching from the stands baseball glove in hand, just hoping with every pitch that the ball's going to be hit in your direction. And when it is, it's like a dream come true. But the one thing I cannot decide is whether it's best to catch the foul ball yourself or to have the person sitting next to you catch it and then give it to you. That it is thrilling to reach up and catch that ball yourself. You feel like a major leaguer for a split second, but then again, if the person next to you catches it and gives it to you, you receive more than just a baseball where your brother leans over and says, I want you to have this. Or a parent says, we'll put this on your shelf when we get home. That you not only receive a baseball, but also this memory and gift of love. And the Apostle Paul, tries to write about the immense gift of love, where in the letter to the Romans it says, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And Bill Leonard reminds us to consider the revised English version, which says it more plainly. Leave no debt outstanding, but remember the debt of love you owe one another.
that perhaps we all have these stories that we could share about how somebody loved us in memorable ways. That they were the lunches that we took to school every day growing up. That they were the notes of encouragement left on our dresser. That it was the hand that held ours at the funeral. It was the face full of pride when we stepped off of the stage. They have been the gifts of love that we hold on to and that hold on to us. The kind words, gentle gestures, compassionate acts, faithful prayers that we have received and for which we give thanks. But it is, as that one minister says at the end of the service every week, now go out into the world and love God and love neighbor. It's all that easy. And it's all that hard. That it can become so difficult. Because as Aaron Wathen says, our daily lives are designed so that we don't have to deal with people face to face. Garage door openers. Fast food, coffee shops, banks, dry cleaners, all with drive through windows, remote classrooms, work-at-home gigs, online bill pay, and shopping that we can inadvertently cloister ourselves away from others. And it is so hard to love somebody else from a distance. So perhaps we need to heed the advice of that grand philosopher from 1986, Ferris Bueller, who said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. And when we stop and when we look, we start to notice the faces of the people around us. We see the person who needs help with his homework. And we see how loneliness has taken root in somebody's life. Or we see that weight of grief where it is obvious, it is too heavy for any one person to carry alone. Or we notice the questions that somebody is too afraid to ask. It is all that easy and it is all that hard. 
because it can end up reorganizing our day, shifting our schedules, changing our priorities, and inviting us not to stand at a distance, but to stand close. When it was time for the very first Passover, God said, this day will be a day of remembrance for you. That the people would remember because God had drawn close to them. God had heard their cries and God had seen their misery and God had come close to be with them. And oftentimes we read throughout the pages of Scripture that we are invited to remember. And it is more than just looking back. It is taking everything from the past, everything that God has done, and drawing it into the present so it can speak to today. Where it ends up, always calling us into the future. A future that is then shaped by the love of God. A future that God hopes for this world. A future that we all hope for this world. In his book, Disciplines of the Spirit, Howard Thurman Ask the question, what is universal for everyone? What is it that we all experience? What is it that nobody can escape? What is it that everybody needs? And he writes, the experience of love is either a necessity or a luxury. If it is a luxury, it is expendable. If it is a necessity, then to deny it is to perish. So simple is that reality and so terrifying. Ultimately, there is only one place of refuge on this planet for any person, and that is in another person's heart. That we find and we can offer such refuge, strength, and hope as we love one another and as we are loved by them. Not from a distance, but as we stand close. It is the love that we owe one another. And it's all that easy. And it is all that hard. In writing about the future that God hopes for this world, Leslie Weatherhead just might say it best. He says, big doors, 
swing on such tiny hinges. And the future is a big door. But it swings on the small hinges of love. When we were moving into our house in Auburn, one of the last things we had to do was move the refrigerator into the house and into the kitchen. So we unloaded it off the truck and we finally got it around to the back of the house to go through the back door because I thought brilliantly that's the straightest line to the kitchen. The only problem was the refrigerator was slightly bigger than the door. So I thought I'm going to take the door off the hinges. And I'm not sure that door had ever been off its hinges. It took multiple tools, a couple shots to my thumb, and when I finally got it off, it was so cumbersome, I almost dropped it in the middle of the den. Then I discovered the refrigerator was still wider than the door, but I was already so committed to this idea, I thought, I'm going to take the door off the refrigerator which I had no idea how to do. So multiple tools later, trying to figure this out without breaking the refrigerator, I finally got the hinges off only to discover that that water hose that goes from the back of the refrigerator to the water dispenser in the front door runs through the hinges. So I couldn't get the door off. I finally gave up, desperate put all the doors back where they were supposed to go, only to discover, pointed out by someone smarter than me, that the front door was wide enough for the refrigerator to fit. So we moved the refrigerator around to the front of the house, and the front door swung open easily on its hinges. And we moved the refrigerator into the kitchen. The big doors swing on small hinges. And we can build a future that is more kind, more just, more forgiving, more hopeful on the small hinges of love. Amen.